0: I'm so glad you're joining with us here today as we continue on in our series, Gospel Incomplete, really just exploring what is the gospel and what does it mean for us? And as I've been sharing, the real heart of the gospel is just this, that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord, and that we are called to choose and follow Him. That's really the last two weeks kind of summarized, that we are called to choose and follow Him. And if you want to expand the gospel, here's how I've been sharing it with you, that the gospel really expanded is just this. According to scripture, the creeds, and tradition, that Jesus preexisted with the Father, took on human flesh, fulfilling God's promises to David, died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, was buried, was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, appeared to many, and is seated at the right hand of God as Lord and will come again as judge. And we've been working through kind of those points one or two a week. So last week we took a look at how Jesus was our divine and human king, and today I want to take a look at that phrase where Jesus is the king who died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. I want to explain what this kind of means for us here today, because it really is a central part of the gospel. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians. When he is explaining the gospel, he says this. He says, now, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before, of the gospel that I preached to you before. That's what he's saying there. And he says this. He goes on to say, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. And after this, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers, at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. And so here, when Paul goes to define the gospel, he really makes it clear the importance and the centrality that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and raised on the third day. And we're going to take a look at that next week. But Paul clearly says that Jesus dying for our sins is a part of the gospel, that it's needed, that it's necessary, and that it matters. And so I want to explore this here with you today. But what I want to invite you to do today is I want to invite you really to maybe rethink some things. Because I think we have lots of assumptions when it comes to this idea of Jesus dying for our sins. But I really want to let Scripture actually guide us in how we understand this. And so I do want to invite you to rethink some things here today. We're going to take a look at the book of Leviticus. We're going to dive kind of deeply. But I want to invite you, as I said, to rethink some things. And this can be hard, actually. This can be really hard. We actually don't like rethinking things much at all. We're much more actually comforted by our our certainties, than actually challenge to actually take a look at what scripture might say. Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist, and he puts the challenge of rethinking this way. He says, rethinking isn't a struggle in every part of our lives. He says, when it comes to our possessions, we update with fervor. We refresh our wardrobes when they go out of style. We renovate our kitchens when they're no longer in vogue. When it comes to our knowledge and opinions, though, we tend to stick to our guns. Psychologists call this seizing and freezing. Um, We favor the comfort of conviction over the discomfort of doubt. And we let our beliefs get brittle long before our bones. So he says this, we laugh at people who still use Windows 95, yet we cling to opinions that we formed in 1995. He says this, and this is very, very true. He says, we listen to views that make us feel good instead of ideas that make us think hard. Let me say that again. We listen to views that make us feel good instead of ideas that make us think hard. I think this is really some of the source of the problems of the Western Evangelical Church that I've been sharing with you. The Western Evangelical Church doesn't truly understand the gospel in any depth and actually has narrowed it in many ways. It's incomplete. And I think this is because we are comforted by ideas that we hold, not by truth. That we would rather be certain than to be convicted to actually grow and to rethink some things according to what scripture actually says. But this is important if we're going to follow Jesus. We need to actually let him guide us in his truth found in scripture. So today, we're going to really explore This idea that Jesus died for our sins. And to do that, we have to ask the question what does dying for sins mean? And when we say that Jesus died for sins in accordance with Scriptures, what does the Scripture say about dying for sins, about sacrifices, about all of that? And to understand that, we need to dive into everybody's favorite book, the book of Leviticus. Now, if you're in the majority of people who have not read the book of Leviticus, which I actually do think is the majority of people, I think that this is likely for many of us because the book of Leviticus is a hard and a tough book to read. It simply is. That in many ways, the book of Leviticus is wrote in a style and in a world that we simply don't understand. They have a different conceptual framework than we do. To give you an example of kind of how this works, imagine imagine someone from the time of Leviticus was taken forward into our day and age. So someone from 2,500 plus years ago. Imagine them coming into our day and age and trying to understand our world. Trying to understand like Wi-Fi and planes and that the earth isn't flat, right? That it's actually round and that we go around the sun and all of this. Imagine how difficult it would be for someone from 2,500 years ago to understand our world. This is why it's hard for us to understand their world. That there is such conceptual space between us that if we want to understand what the Bible teaches about dying for sins, what this will mean is that we need to almost do like a cross-cultural learning experience to really put ourselves into the mind of the people way back when, when they wrote the book of Leviticus, to understand its kind of inner logic. Because I think for some of us, when we come to the book of Leviticus, if you have read it, there's lots of talk of sacrifices, of death, of blood, of all this sort of thing. And it can strike us as archaic, as superstitious, and as violent. But I want to tell you something very, very clear that the book of Leviticus is not superstitious, violent, or archaic. It actually has some stuff to teach us here today. So today I want to learn three big things about Leviticus that can help us to understand how Jesus died for sins in accordance with Scripture. And the three big things that I want to teach us here uh, today is that sacrifices bring people together, that blameless representatives are needed or blameless offerings are needed, okay? And that God always provides the sacrifice. God always provides the sacrifice. So the first thing I want to talk about um, from the book of Leviticus is that sacrifices are needed and they draw people together, okay? is that sacrifices are needed and they draw people together. Because what hopefully you can agree with, whether you're a Christian or not, a follower of Jesus or not, is that what ends up happening with sin is that sin separates people and needs to be dealt with. Okay? Sin separates people and needs to be dealt with. I don't honestly think there's going to be a ton of pushback on this. I don't think you need to be a theologian to understand this. That pride like wrecks relationships, that greed wrecks like businesses and business partners, or that hate divides families. Right? Sin separates. Right? And then sin also needs to be dealt with. That if you don't deal with sin, what ends up happening, and you'll likely already know this, is that sin just spreads. It spreads all the time. You know this if you're a parent, you know this if you're a business owner or you work in a really bad like office culture, you know this if you're a student and there's a ton of like division and hate and betrayal, that this stuff just spreads. So the first thing I want to say really clearly is that sin is a problem and it spreads and it needs to be dealt with. So what God does in the book of Leviticus is he comes to his people and he shares with them how to deal with sin. How to deal with the spread and the pollution and the distortion and the corruption of sin. That's really what a huge theme of the book is. I'll give you an example. So we read this. It says, If the entire Israelite community sins by violating one of the Lord's commands, but the people don't realize it, they are still guilty. When they become aware of the sin, the people must bring a young bull as an offering for their sin and present it before the tabernacle. God's going to give them instructions on how do you then deal with the sin in your community, in your world. And he says this, and this is what it fixes. He says, and through this process, the priest will purify the people, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. And here we really see what sacrifices do, or what an offering does. When you offer something for sin, what it does is it actually renews and draws people closer together again. That's what it does. That it renews and draws people closer together again. That it restores relationships. That's what that phrase means when it says this. Through this process, the priest will purify the people, making them right with the Lord. The idea of making them right is the idea of reconciliation, of restoration, of really renewal again. And this idea, this idea that if you were to offer something for sin, that it brings two parties back together again. That it makes them right again. It brings them back into um, atonement or at onement or oneness this is seen throughout the book of Leviticus. So for example, in Leviticus 16, 6, we read this. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Or in chapter 10, we read of when it will be sent away to Isaiah in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. And that phrase, made right with the Lord, often happens. That what a sacrifice is about is actually about bringing restoration, reconciliation, or in theology, we use the word atonement. Literally, it means at. One meant bringing relationships back together. And this, this is really kind of a new idea in the world at that time and that day and age, that many people back in that day and age, they would offer sacrifices to the gods, but they would offer sacrifices to the gods to gain favor with the gods or to appease the wrath of the gods or stuff like that. In Jewish consciousness, though, that's not what's going on in the book of Leviticus. Instead, what you do is you offer a sacrifice to bring you closer to God. That's what it's about. It's not about gaining God's attention or favor. It's about bringing you back into right relationship with God, that when you offer a sacrifice, what it does is it draws you close. And even though, even though in many ways this might seem old or archaic or kind of weird or strange to us, we actually still have some of the same idea in our modern day and age. We just don't actually think of it often. So I'll give you a few examples of how even today we still kind of offer sacrifices to draw relationships back close. So let's say, for example, you're married and you forget your spouse's like birthday or anniversary. Right? What you might do the next day is to buy flowers as an offering of sorts, right, to draw that relationship close again. Well, let's say you have a friendship that kind of went a little bit off the rails. Maybe what you might do is show up with your favorite, like, food or their favorite drink or something like that. It's kind of a peace offering to, again, draw relationships close as a sacrifice of sorts to draw the relationship back together. Or, or for example, in my own household, in my own family, our kids, when they uh, do something that's, like, you know, dumb, wrong, whatever it may be, right, um, often what they will do is they'll spend time, they'll make a card, they'll kind of write out a thing, and they will bring it to, you know, Chris or me and say, you know, we're sorry, Mom or Dad, and here's a card explaining that. That what they're doing with that card is really offering a sacrifice of sorts to mend and restore the relationship back together. And this is what I want to invite you to understand in the book of Leviticus, that what Leviticus teaches us first and foremost is that sin separates and needs to be dealt with, and that sacrificing can and does bring someone closer, okay? That offering a sacrifice can and does bring someone closer. The next thing I want to share with you to understand in the book of Leviticus about sacrifice is the need for a blameless, or an innocent, or a complete, or a sinless sacrifice. And this also is a part of the book of Leviticus. So, for example, in Leviticus 4.22, we read this. If one of Israel's leaders sins by violating one of the commands of the Lord, of his God, but doesn't realize it, he is still guilty. When he becomes aware of his sin, he must bring his offering uh, as a male goat with no defects. And that idea of no defects really is um, blameless. That's kind of the idea. And the word uh, in Hebrew is a word tamim. And what it literally means is complete, whole, sound, perfect, blameless, upright, without blemish. The idea is that if there's going to be this sacrifice that draws us closer to again, that it needs to be whole, it needs to be sinless, it needs to be perfect, it needs to be innocent and highly valued. And here's kind of the inner logic of all of this, okay, even if it might be a little bit foreign to us, is that if sin is the problem that is separating, we can't have something sinful fix the problem. That's the idea of Leviticus, okay? That if sin is the problem, we can't have something sinful fix the problem. So in Leviticus, there's this real idea that we need something that is blameless, something pure of value, to bring us close to God again. That if there's going to be restitution, if there's going to be reconciliation, if there's going to be really this restoration of relationships, that the offering we make, it can't kind of be lame, half-baked, or half you know, you can fill in the rest of that phrase, Um, whatever it may be, it needs to actually be of value and of meaning, right? If it's going to restore that kind of separation that's there. To give you a personal example of how this still works in our modern day and age, I wanna share with you about my very first birthday I had when we moved here in Niagara. And we moved in the beginning of August, and my birthday's at the end of August, so we'd been here like three or four months. And what ended up happening on my birthday was I kinda of got up, I went to work, and I came home. And I have to tell you, it was the single worst birthday I've ever had in my life. In our family, we do birthdays rather large, but when I got home, there were like no decorations. For supper, Krista literally just reheated something that I had made the night before. There was no cake, there was no gifts, and It was like, it was like as if, honestly, I kind of thought that my entire family seemed to be forgotten that today is my birthday. And so recognizing that there was no cake and nothing was happening, at 9pm, I drove out to like Dairy Queen and got my own blizzard and came home. Krista was asleep already and it was like the single worst birthday that I've ever had. Um, if Krista was here, she might share with you different perspectives on the story but today, you get, you get my perspective. But here's, here's, here's what happened, okay? So here's what happened later on that night. I go to bed, whatever else. I think I must have woke her up, probably because I was like angry, whatever else. Um, she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, my my birthday was terrible. So if you want to know what my amazing wife did? And she is amazing. Um, what she did was she got up in the middle of the night after I'd gone to sleep, whatever else. She put up a ton of decorations so that when I got up, she literally did like a birthday do-over. She had um, went out with the kids, got like gifts, got like cake, uh, found out how to make my favorite food recipes, got all the food for it and created it so it was there when I got home from work. It was an incredible birthday. She kind of did a do-over birthday. But here's my point with this. If she tried to do like a do-over birthday but just got me like one sad balloon and a reused birthday card, would that have actually fixed anything? The answer is no, no. That if you wanna bridge that gap, you can't have the problem still be a part of the solution. This is why in Leviticus it talks about consistently you need a blameless sacrifice, or a whole, or a perfect, or a sinless sacrifice. The reason is because if sin is part of the problem, it can't be part of the solution. Okay? So the first two things I want to share with you really clearly from the book of Leviticus about dying for sins is that sacrifices and dying for sins, it does bring restoration, and that the person or the uh, animal or the offering needs to be sinless or blameless or without defect. The third thing that I want to bring us to our attention, and this is one that I think is the most important, is that God is always the one who gives the sacrifice. God is always the one who offers the sacrifice. Or God is always the one who initiates the sacrifice. And I know this might not seem like it if you read the book of Leviticus, because if you read the book of Leviticus, and you should, you should read the entire Bible, okay? You should. What you'll see is that really, it sounds like the book is a complete giving of instructions on what to do and how we are called to actually offer sacrifices. But really at the heart of it, really at the heart of it, it is not that we offer sacrifices to God, but that God provides sacrifices for us to offer, that God is the initiator of all things. I want to read to you a really central verse that's kind of buried in the book of Leviticus that we can often skip over it, but really frames all of this. Um, God says this, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And listen to what God says, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. He says, it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. I want to read that again, okay? And I know that there's lots of language around blood and atonement there. In Jewish thought, blood is really the space, um, is representative of life. This is why Jewish people are very careful around blood, and that's what's going on in this passage. But just notice who is the one who is providing the offering and the sacrifice and all of that. We read this. For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And here... It's really, really clear who gives sacrifice to bring atonement and bring reconciliation. The answer is it's God. God does. God's the initiator. God's the provider. He says this, I have given it to you to make atonement. So the logic of kind of Leviticus is just this, that sin has separated us, but God himself brings us close again through an offering that he provides. That sin has separated us, but God um, himself brings us close again through an offering that he provides. Or to paraphrase that verse that I just read, it could maybe be paraphrased this way, that the sacrifice is needed, God would be saying, I have given it to you to bring us together. That God is the initiator, the giver, and the one who actually provides for us. And this is incredibly important. This is incredibly beautiful, really to realize that again, again, everything begins with God's grace, that he is the one who provides, he is the one who steps forward, he is the one who initiates. Tim Mackey, who is incredible in all he does, and if you want to learn more about the book of Leviticus, I'd highly recommend listening to the Bible Projects um, podcast on the book of Leviticus. He says this and that. He says, rather than being a way to gain favor with God, atonement, speaking about Leviticus, atonement is actually a gift from God to humanity. He says the sacrificial system is evidence of God's grace. And it is because God is the initiator and God is the provider. So what does this mean for us all today? Because I know that again this is kind of like a nerdy theology 101 kind of class. I might be inviting you too to rethink some ways of how you understand the book of Leviticus. Well, here's what the three things I want us to understand here today. That according to Leviticus, sin separates, okay, and a sacrifice is needed to bring reconciliation. Second thing is that a sinless offering is needed to bring reconciliation. And the third thing is that God is the one who always provides the sacrifice. And I think this, this is really what Scripture is teaching about dying for sins. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins just as Scripture says, these are the things that he is referencing then imagine Paul as somebody who is not only an incredibly scholar and as somebody who's likely memorized the majority, if not all of the Old Testament, imagine him being immersed in these scriptures and knowing all of this and really learning it and integrating it in himself, understanding that a sacrifice um, brings reconciliation, understanding that it needs to be blameless and also understanding that God initiates. And then imagine him having that experience with Jesus Christ and going back and thinking about the scriptures and what do the scriptures say about sacrifice? This would have all just clicked all of a sudden for Paul. He would have instantly have seen how Jesus becomes our blameless representative sent by God, right? Initiated by God to draw everyone close to God. That's really what Paul is teaching. That's what Paul wants us to understand. That if we want to understand how Jesus died for our sins, we need to understand it through kind of a lens really of Leviticus. Understanding that a sacrifice draw people together, that a blameless offering is needing, and needed, and that God initiates. And so when we talk about Jesus dying for our sins, this is, what's called, this is what's going on. It's God sending a sacrifice to bring everyone together and to stop the spread and the disintegration that sin brings. This is why in quite possibly the highest Christology, like one of the most beautiful moments of writing in the Bible, in Colossians 1, Paul says this, okay? And he's going to talk here about Christ's sacrifice. And notice how all those three themes are there about how his death brings reconciliation, about blamelessness and sinlessness, and also about how God takes the first step of how God initiates everything. We read this, for God in his all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. That's that theme of really there being reconciliation right he says this he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of christ's blood on the cross this includes you you who were once far away from god you who were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of christ in his physical body and as a result he has brought you into his very own presence and you now are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault So here we see all of these themes coming together of blamelessness, of God initiating, sending, and reconciling, and of how sacrifices bring us together. And notice really that Paul's language is cosmic. He says it changes everything, that Christ's death is really the sacrifice that changes absolutely everything in our world and reconciles everything and everyone to God. That's the language that Paul uses. He says, through him, God reconciled everything to himself. And then Paul gets incredibly specific, and he says that this includes you, and this includes me. And this, this is, I think, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is our blameless representative coming from God to reconcile us and everyone back to God. That Jesus is our blameless representative coming from God to reconcile us and everything back to God. Or to put it simpler, and here's my main point today, that Jesus is the king who dies for our sins to bring us all back to God. That Jesus is the King who died for sins to bring us all back to God. And this includes you, and this includes me, and that this is what God did in the person of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us here today personally? Because I know that today um, can be a little bit nerdy, and that's good, and I love all of that. But then what does it mean for us, us personally? Because it's not enough just to learn things about God. We actually want to be transformed by God. So today, what I want to invite you into is really this. I want to invite you into to experience and encounter and really actually deeply connect with Jesus as our risen king. That's what I want to invite you into today. I want to invite you to experience and encounter Jesus as our risen King. That what Jesus dying for sins has done is to provide reconciliation. So the right way for us to respond is not with me teaching you more about the book of Leviticus. The right way for us to respond is to actually receive and to connect with Christ the King. That because of his death, we do have reconciliation. God has provided for us. There is that step that he took towards us so we can connect with him. So I think the right way to respond is simply through receiving. So we're going to do that in two ways here this morning. We're going to invite you in just a few moments to take communion whenever kind of you see fit. Uh, The worship group is going to play uh, a number of songs for us as a moment for us just to continue to actually to worship, to pray, to connect with Christ. I'm going to invite you during that time. Would you use and would you take communion? And communion really is a moment to actually connect with Christ the King because I really do believe that the right way for us to respond is not only to learn about Jesus' death and sacrifice, but actually to connect with him because of his death and sacrifice. So So today, what is my challenge? My challenge is really, really simple, and it's really, really clear and short. It's just this. Would you receive and connect with Christ the King? Would you receive and connect with Christ the King? Because he is the one who died for sins, bringing reconciliation to all of us. And this includes you and this includes me. Our right response is not only to choose and to follow, the right response then is also to receive from Christ the King so that we might be brought closer and deeper and have an encounter with him. So I wanna invite you to do that in the next few moments as we pray, as we worship, and as we take communion. We pray, uh, would you join with me in prayer here this morning? Dear God, I pray, might we continue, may we continue, Lord, to just turn our attention and our focus towards you. We are so grateful for your sacrifice, God, that does cleanse us, that does allow us to come boldly into your presence, that we are made blameless and holy, as your scriptures say. God, we are so grateful that you're the one who takes the first step, that you offered this for us to be brought into right relationship with you. So I pray, Lord, in these next few moments, might we continue to encounter you, might we continue to experience you, might we receive from you as we open ourselves up to you, and might we continue, God, to be made right and to follow you in all things we pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen. And so in the next few moments, as the worship group plays, I want to invite you to take communion um, or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper when you so are ready. And we read this on the night when Jesus was betrayed. We read this, they took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. That communion is when we remember those moments and Christ's sacrifice and what he has done to bring reconciliation for all of us. So as we enter into this moment, I wanna invite you to pray, to worship, to connect, and then especially, especially to receive from God through communion as you take time to do that here together.